Today's episode of the Coyote Duran Show is dedicated to the memory of undefeated welterweight boxing prospect Ed Bad Boy Brown. Brown passed away on Sunday, December 4, after having been shot multiple times while sitting in a car with a loved one on the previous evening in Chicago. Brown had just notched another victory on November 11th, his fourth in 2016, and his seventh over the course of a rolling year. He was only 25 years old. Rest in peace, rest in power, young man. Now, to celebrate today's guest, James Durbin, we open the show not with my normal intro, but one of my favorite Durbin jams. From 2011's Memories of a Beautiful Disaster, here's Stand Up. Listeners know my guest today is a contestant on season 10 of American Idol, but he's not just some guy who simply sang on a reality show for an opportunity at stardom. James Durbin has been neck deep in music for virtually his entire life, having been in musical theater from the time he was a pup and juggling a career which has seen three full-length albums, a Christmas EP, and a side project inspired by his hometown. 
Add to that, he's also a huge WWE fan and a family man. Uh, please welcome James Durbin. How are you, James? I'm doing good, Coyote, my man. How are you? I'm fantastic. Even better now. Um, it's a little late, of course, uh, of a question, but how was Thanksgiving for you? Uh, Thanksgiving was great. Yeah, we hosted breakfast at our house and then uh, filled up, felt nice and sick um, <laughs> at about one, and then went over to my aunt and uncle's house. Uh, where all the all the rest of the family was at, so yeah, it was, it was definitely fun. My uncle was uh, um, um, more drunk than he usually is by the time we got there, so it was it was uh, definitely a, a hoot and a half. That's terrific. Now, uh, as far as uh, your family's concerned, uh, is this family all concentrated in Santa Cruz? Yeah, yeah, for the most part. My, I, I got a sister that lives a couple hours away, um, but uh, my immediate family is all here. Oh, terrific! Excellent! Excellent! Yeah. Um, Santa Cruz, uh, I've actually, uh, for the first time, I went there last year, actually. Um, really? Yeah. Uh, my, my wife is from California, so we had gone to visit some of her relatives in Fresno, and uh, on one of our final days there, they said, let's go out to Santa Cruz and we'll hit the boardwalk. And, and my familiarity with, uh, with Santa Cruz, of course, comes from the film The Lost Boys. So yes. it was neat seeing, you know, everything that was kind of familiar in that, in, in that geographical sense. But uh, but her cousins they go there often, so it was kind of like not so much of a big deal. So we kind of it was like almost a fast paced kind of tour through the whole thing. Uh, but uh, you know we wanted to just kind of like sit there and, and just kind of let everything absorb into us. And we wound up having lunch at this uh, the the one seafood joint at the end of the pier where you could see all the seals down on the on the rafters below. Uh, so it was it was yeah. definitely a hell of an experience. So um, thinking about. Uh, um, you know, uh, your work. Uh, now, everyone familiar with your work knows how you got your name out there uh, is, of course, part of season 10 of American Idol. But music has always been part of your life since you were very young. Was this the main contributor to your wider appreciation for different genres? Uh, I think so. I mean, I, I grew up being raised by my mom and two sisters, single mm -hmm. mom with two older sisters. So I was inundated with everything that they listened to. So growing up in the car, it was, you know, uh, at three years old, they had me singing the chorus to uh, The Right Stuff by New Kids on the Block. And then growing up in the car, uh, listening to oldies stations at the time was all the Motown um, stations in, in our town. And uh, so I grew up with that. I grew up listening to James Brown and, and Al Green and, and uh, Jackson 5, Michael, all that. So... You know, I, I, I understood what an entertainer was, and I really got into Michael Jackson at a young age. And through that, growing up, um, being having all of my interests reflect what my sisters were listening to, because that was really the only influence I had. So I, I also listened to, uh, admittedly so, NSYNC, Backstreet Boys, Spike Girls, all that stuff. But, you know, within that, I understood what it was to perform. I understood and, and appreciated the performance that went into it and the music, because I don't care who you are. If you ever watch back any NSYNC or Backstreet Boys videos, they have the tightest band of session players you have ever heard in your life, and it is phenomenal to go back and listen to those. But uh, it wasn't until middle school, um, approaching high school, that uh, that I heard uh, Dio's Holy Diver on our local rock station for the first time, and that uh, that changed the landscape of my of my life forever. You know, it's funny that you mentioned you know groups like NSYNC and Backstreet Boys, what were you know of course labeled as is uh, you know part of the boy band genre. 
It's funny because I grew to appreciate them having, you know, children, you know, who, of course, were younger right around that time, you know, back in like 1998. Uh, you know, I, uh, uh, my daughter at that point in time, my older daughter was six and my son was, uh, uh, was four at the time. So, you know, as they had gotten older, you know, my daughter had gotten, gained more of an appreciation for the pop genre. So I was inundated with that sort of thing, but it also gave me an appreciation for what they did as far as their production values and, you know, their unity and, and, you know, how well they just sang as groups. And, you know, amid, you know, all the other ones like 98 Degrees and stuff there, those two are the ones that, that shined. I thought they were, they were really excellent groups. And to this day, they're still part of my playlist. So any of you hollers out there, who are listening to this podcast right now? That's don't judge me because I know that there's a little bit of uh, there's got to be a little bit of appreciation. But back to what built you, I can relate to that, James, because when I was a pup myself, uh, as somebody who loved reading and talking and driving my my parents nuts, um, I knew what it was like to to kind of delve into different uh, uh, different different musical genres and and appreciate different acts because you know my parents would give me uh, you know. Uh, 78s and uh you know they'd give me their albums just to get me out of their hair so i'd wind up having a little record player and i'd listen to the beatles or you know ccr or the temptations the stampeders all of that sort of thing so i can relate but it it really i i'm all i'm just very curious as to you know and of course you know you laid that out in regard to you know what really got you going with all sorts of different genres and acts but I can relate to that because from an early age, I was it was never just about one act. It was never just about rock. It was never just about pop or R&B or any sort of dance music. Now, you know, in regard to that variety in your musical outlook, um, do you think that really helped shape your second album, Celebrate? Uh, yeah, definitely. I definitely think it does. I mean, Celebrate was a product of a lot of butting heads um, off of the success of my first album, Rays of a Beautiful Disaster, in 2011. I mean, that album sold 40,000 copies in its first week, and, and by the time we were putting, um, getting ready to do the second one, it sold 200,000 copies. And, and like a hit record today, like that wasn't even, I mean, by today's standards, that's a hit record. Mm. My Memories album. A hit record today. Uh, somebody told me the Nick Jonas album, you know, you hear it everywhere. You hear his music and his single everywhere in right now. But um, that album only sold like 10,000 copies. Wow. Like that's how little people are actually buying music these days. Right, and right. Don't quote, don't quote me on that number. It might be more, it might be less. Okay, But, but still, the, the excess of it is, is not as much as it was even five years ago. Um, and so I, I went into the studio following the success of that. I went to Nashville um, through Wind Up Records, who was the, the, the label that I was with at the time for my two um, first albums. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so I went to Nashville, and I wrote with James Michael, who's the singer and producer of 6AM, uh, with Nikki Six and DJ Ashba, and he's yeah. one of my heroes. So I got to um, very close... Um, got to hang out with him and work with him every day uh, with my band and we all went out there we all wrote together we brought out a bunch of songwriters and pretty much wrote every single day a song a day for two and a half months so I mean we had a lot of songs a lot of great 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 songs to choose from and uh, and went to the label and 
I went to New York with all these songs and played them all the songs, and um, they came to the conclusion that they didn't like any of them oh. and didn't want to put any of them out. And uh, the other conclusion they came to was, hey, we want to try you at Pop. We know your rock album sold 200,000 uh, 200, copies, and, and we, we, I guess we think that uh, that you the pop star. And um, it's, it's like the uh, it's like the storyline of the movie Rock of Ages. Mm -hmm. It's it's basically exactly that. So it's gonna be in this colorful outfit and uh, smile more. Uh, are you married to the bandana? Well, considering I wore a bandana when we got married, yeah. Uh, but they made me nix the bandana and all sorts of things and. Um, but, uh, you know, taking into account all of that and that struggle, um, there was still a point to prove myself. If it wasn't going to be playing the music that I wanted to and being uh, the kind of rock star that I had always um, envisioned myself to be, then... then uh, <laughs> I was definitely going to take it as a challenge and write the best songs that I could. So, I mean, that's, I feel like that's a um, mark of any uh, songwriter is that you can be challenged with any genre and anything and, and find yourself on, on the top of it. And so, uh, and so we definitely did that and celebrate to where it's not an album that I'm really proud of um, as like a live album mm -hmm. and to tour the songs. Some of them work, but for the most part, they don't. It's it's a great studio album and it, it should be regarded as such um, in my catalog anyway. Um, that I, I, I am proud of it and I am happy with the way that it turned out. And yes, my previous influences in my childhood definitely helped to uh, to shape it and, uh, and and hell it's good it's a good record I, I'm, I'm doing a new project right now that's uh, going to start recording in, in January okay um, I can't really talk too much about it sure. but uh, my um, my co-writer with that he's he's just like dude that's a great album like it's <laughs> a really good album like it's not uh, a great live album I understand but it's good album songwriting's good production's good sound quality's good you know there's a good flow to it and uh, good storytelling so I think it's safe to say that in regard to this new project that you're working on uh, I'm sure you know a, a lot of what you've learned you know whether it's the hits or the misses so to speak and working on your, your, your past slabs um, those I'm sure are, are pretty contributing factors it's almost like you know it's not necessarily about you know, it, it, it's not about losing, it's about winning and then learning, I suppose. So in regard to, exactly. you know, without yeah. having to give away too much in regard to this newest album, what what would you compare it to as far, percentage-wise, you know, like you're talking, you know, Memories of a Beautiful Disaster was more of a rocker and you got Celebrate, which is more spread out throughout pop and something more of a relatively gentle approach. How would you compare it to any of your past albums, even including Riot on Sunset? Um, I, I'd say that this new project, um, I, 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 I just, I'm bursting at the seams to want to share about it, but wow. I don't think I can yet. Of course. Um, it, it came about, I was doing a, uh, a little brief history on it. I was just got off of a residency in Las Vegas, a show called One Epic Night. Mm -hmm. And it was a new show. It was happening at the Plaza Hotel downtown Las Vegas. And, and as with any new show, you know, it, it's, it's, it's difficult to launch an, a brand new show, you know, that, that, that doesn't have a history in, in the city um, prior. And, and so, I mean, it went great. It went great for a while. And then, you know, and just then one day, it just, it just wasn't. So, you know, that's, that's the way it goes with Vegas. But um, I, I got to play with a bunch of incredible 
old Alan on the drums from uh, Wasp and Lita Ford and um, Brent Muscat on guitar oh. from Faster Pussycat, Michael T. Ross on keys from Lita Ford and, and Raving the Rockfall. All these wonderful, amazing guys. And there was a guy that I got to uh, reconnect with while I was out there. And his uh, name is Alex Grassi. He's the uh, lead guitarist for Quiet Riot mm-hmm. and has been for the last 14 years. And, uh, and, and we go back a little bit and, um, and we connected, we reconnected out there. And, um, you know, that, that, the Vegas opportunity was amazing while it lasted, but of course not all things last, but, uh, we, we kind of, there, there was some kind of a, um, uh, a creative spark that happened there and we didn't know until, until Alex started sending me demos and, um, just instrumentals and, uh, and I just kind of got inspired and started writing and now we are like 10 songs in just in this past month we've written um all these amazing amazing rock songs tremendous rock songs i just got done writing two yesterday mm-hmm. and literally he just sends me the music and i craft the song the lyrics the melodies the harmonies everything so it's if it wasn't for what happened with the celebrate album and being challenged as a songwriter then i wouldn't really be able to write this level of songs that I'm writing right now. And I feel like it is my best songwriting work and I've played it for friends and colleagues and sent it to buddies and, and, uh, sent it to Chris Jericho actually last week. Oh yes. This is what you should be singing. You were born 20 years too late. This is like your calling. And if you're going to be successful in music, this is what you're going to be successful with. And so that's like, you know, that, those are really strong words, and, and it's um, it's a great, great, great project. So we are going to be releasing music um, in the new year and uh, in, in one form or another. And um, um, I don't know if, if that's going to mean any tool, probably not. You know, it's really meant to just be um, a fun musical project. But, I mean, Alice, if there's a – if there becomes demand for it, then, you know, of course we will um, – we will follow up with that. But yeah, that's pretty much all I can say for now. Um, there is a band name, but uh, I'm not releasing that yet. And then, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's really, 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 um, moving. You know, we're going to have some guest players on it. Um, uh, member of the rock and roll hall of fame. So it, it, uh, a lot of really great stuff is shaping up for this, uh, 2017. Now, you mentioned uh, talking to Jericho and him saying, of course, that, you know, you were born 20 years too late. I see that very same thing. Of course, you know, you were born in 1989. Uh, I graduated high school in 1989, so that kind of gives you an idea of where we are as far as age is concerned. But, you know, you mentioned being, you know, feeling born 20, 20 years too late. And you're also working, some of your contemporaries are guys who have been around the music scene for many years. Uh, on your first album, uh, you had Mick Mars from Motley Crue as a contributor. Uh, you mentioned Brett Muscat from Faster Pussycat. Uh, you know, one of my, my, my favorite album of theirs, of course, is uh, Wake Me When It's Over. Uh, and just having those guys, it's like, how do they feel... You know, matching up with a relatively young cat. I mean, are they surprised that your passion and your knowledge of music, it's like, it's not like you're just some young kid who's coming in and trying to ingratiate himself or suck up to a bunch of veterans. You know your stuff. Your ability, your singing, your, your sense of history is so right and so spot on and genuine. 
it's all real. Does that tend to surprise some of these older fellas who, who you work with? Um, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure if, it, if that necessarily surprises people. I mean, because there, there's a lot of a lot of guys that just are, are, are textbooks on, sure. on history and, and everything. But I, I really think it's more of an appreciation once I open my mouth and once I uh, start performing. You know, it's the same thing with the, the guys in the Vegas show. You said right. Alan, Michael T. Ross, and Brent Muscat, that, for instance. You know, and and uh, I was singing a bunch of you know a bunch of classics. Mm-hmm. Um, ended up swinging with Jimon, and then we did We Are the Champions, and then we did uh, Sweet Child of Mine, and, and you know, and, and it's, it's all live, all of the music's live, all the vocals are live, and I'm hitting the same notes every single night, and there's that, there becomes that appreciation, you know, and, and to see that, um, yeah, even though I was on American Idol, and I took that, I took that route, you know, um, I mean, who wouldn't want to go from singing great music in a, in, 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 in a city bar to like 20 people to going on stage in front of 20 million people and, and singing your heart out, singing the same songs, really. You know, I'm singing covers in a bar at karaoke to go on, on TV singing karaoke. I mean, why wouldn't you if it, if it gave you the opportunity to play with your, with your heroes and with legends? I played with Stevie Wonder. I mean, I played with Cheryl Crow. I played with... Zach Wilde, Bob Babbitt of the Funk Brothers, Judith Priest, uh, Tom Jones, for God's sake. <laughs> you know, I have, I, 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 I've lived this crazy uh, experience and, and gotten to become friends with people that I've looked up to or that I've idolized um, throughout my life. Chris Jericho, for instance, and like, like my favorite wrestler. I, I kind of can't say that anymore because it's kind of creepy. Um, but, uh, <laughs> in God, like legendary status, Shawn Michaels versus Chris Jericho, WrestleMania 19, yep. like, get out of here, like, come on, like, I'm sitting here eating, like, uh, um, cheese sticks with him and the Miz, and, like, sharing a s'mores dessert, like, get out of here, <laughs> this is cool, this is, this is the, this is the boyhood dream, you know, this is the real, uh, the real heartbreak kids boyhood dream. And when you when you put it in those terms, you know, uh, it's uh, there's a saying that you should never meet your heroes, but it seems like you know you know since uh, since your, your your initial journey in American Idol, it seems like a lot of your heroes have sought to meet you. You know, we saw what it was like for you to to meet several WWE uh, 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 superstars, and you know, you're good friends, just like you said with Chris Jericho, and um, uh, you know, it's it, what's that like to know that that these guys are like, uh, you know, I want to meet this guy, James Durbin. You know, I hear he's a huge WWE head and, and a dedicated one. You're not just a fly-by-night guy. You're a historian in that regard, too. So what's it like, you know, when, when, when these guys come out and say, hey, you know, I'm a fan or, or whatever, or when you actually just get to meet them, period? I mean, it's, it's, it's really, it's really a, a really cool, a really, really cool feeling. Um, I'd like to think back to a few years ago, um, I'm passing so quickly now, which was the one in Miami with Chad, uh, John Cena versus The Rock for mm. the first time. Mm. Yeah. I can't remember, 31, 32? I think that might have been, would, would that have been 28? I think, because 28, I think they faced each other again for 29. And then uh, okay. WrestleMania 30 was the one where Daniel Bryan took everything home. Okay, yeah, so yeah, it would be 28. So. Yeah. Um, I was working with the Beast Dog campaign, 
And um, whatever happened to that, by the way? I have no idea. I thought that was a really cool campaign. Um, I don't. I. You know what? I, they might still be doing it as far as like anti-bullying is concerned, but they've got their their hands in so many different uh, charities and and uh, points of activism. It's hard to keep track of them sometimes. Yeah, exactly. So they, they flew me out to Miami to do some uh, VFR-related things. They gave me a couple tickets for the Hall of Fame. Um, all access backstage passes for access and then um two seats for wrestlemania on the floor third row ringside behind the announcers and blew my mind this is the first mania that i've been to Uh, the first wrestling event that i'd ever been to was when i was 12 or 13 i went to no way out 2001 at the cow palace in san francisco and saw eddie guerrero defeat brock for the uh for the World oh, Heavyweight Championship. Wow, fantastic. Yeah, it, would, it, would be, it would be the WWE Championship. Yep. The old, uh, the old golden black one that JBL had forever. Yep. Yeah, so I'm going from that and just thinking about that being in the very top of all. I mean, I bought the DVD. I used to have the, the, the original Xbox. There was this function where you could zoom in on the screen and like see this little pixelated picture of me holding my time <laughs> in my heinous uh, cut off deep shorts and red NWO wolf tax sleeveless shirt <laughs> 12 years old oh that's and, crazy uh, holding up a big green sign that says Brock Fears Eddie and now with the WWE Network you can go on there for nine ninety nine a month and find me um, so that's pretty cool um <laughs> And, uh, so yeah, they, they flew me out there to, uh, to Miami for the events. And, I mean, I get there, I do, um, I get off the plane, you know, and I'm signing autographs with the wrestlers getting off the plane. And, um, and, and I get, I go over to Access and I get to go backstage. I got to meet Paul Bearer. Uh, I got to play, I was playing, um, video games with, uh, Mark Henry and his kid. Oh, and just, like, just wow. the, you know, this is like, I like seeing people for who they really are, and I understand that um, it's still real to me, damn it, but it's not. You know, it, it's, um, I, I understand the entertainment factor, as we all do, but I still love it because I've grown up with it, um, and, and I, it's just that. It's so damn entertaining. It's so good, and it, and it hasn't stopped. You know, there might be um, some dry spots uh, here and there, but it, it definitely hasn't stopped. And, and you see these guys as these these characters that they've created, or that Vince has created, and, and they've they really put the time into um, into figuring it all out and figuring out what works and what doesn't. And, and it's I just have that full appreciation for it. So I feel like when when I meet these guys, and and I've you know I've waved that freak flag. Real high on Idol with Hogan coming out with uh, um, organizing wrestling events in the mansion on Idol and, and uh, getting sent a WWE uh, championship at the time was a spinner belt oh, great, with Gracie James on it, so that was really cool. And then um, Hogan was with TNA at the time, yeah. so TNA sent over a bunch of uh, a bunch of gift bags, and Hogan came talked to me, and, and it's 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 pretty crazy when Hogan's sitting directly in front of you actually saying you need to, I don't know about taking your vitamins brother, but you need to say your prayers you need to make sure that you know, your, your focus is on God and, and everything it's just like, oh my god, I'm, I'm, I'm having um, a discussion of my faith with Hulk Hogan yeah, exactly, he's like your corner man, now, he, now Hogan's your manager you know, 
Um, you know, and, and that's the thing. <clears throat> with with, uh, with pro wrestling in general and WWE, it's a performance art. You know, it's one of CM Punk said it's one of the things that you know America has created outside of uh, comic books and jazz. That you know, those are like our things. Um, but with professional wrestling, with, with WWE, it's like, you know, you mentioned that, you know, it's neat to interact with them personally and stuff. And, you know, a lot of people, you, you see that in the internet wrestling community and you see that with, you know, folks on, on forums and stuff like that where they're like, kayfabe is dead. Well, you know what? I got news for you. It's been dead for a long time. You know, yeah. when you think of like the wrestling, yeah, when you think of like what they were doing in the 80s, like with the wrestling album or when they had their Father's Day or their Mother's Day celebration when it was the WWF. And it's like, it's been dead for a long time. But at that same juncture, we gain a greater appreciation for the people who are portraying the characters because it's all done with a wink and a smile at the end of the day. And a lot of these folks, they're, they're family men and, you know, they're, they're real, they're just real seriously cool people. And you see that, like, by checking out their Instagram accounts and stuff like that, them all hanging together on planes. And what it all comes down to at the end of the day is they have to kind of serve as one another's family because they're like, they're almost like rock stars. In that regard, and sometimes even more so when you consider how long there are on the road, you know, 250, 300 days out of the year. It's got to be depressing yeah. sometimes, you know? So, thinking about WWE, did you catch TLC last night, Tables, Ladders, and Chairs? I did. Oh. Yeah, I, th I thought overall it was a great pay-per-view, mm -hmm. you know, or a special event as they are these days. Sure. Yeah, 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 I thought it was great. I, I loved uh, James Ellsworth's heel turn. Wow, yeah, that was something. And it was like, well, what, I'm thinking, what in Sam Hill is this guy doing? But then he actually, you know, he, he touched upon it on Talking Smack afterward, talking about, well, you yeah. know what, uh, you know, I earned my shot. And it's almost like, this is my way of dodging Dean Ambrose because we're such good buddies. But then again, you could also see that kind of sinister lilt to his voice, like just the tiny little hint of confidence that emerged. Yeah, he's he's a good talker. I mean, I, I listened to uh, um, Chris Jericho's um, talk as Jericho with him uh, a couple weeks ago. Yes, it's uh, about a month or so ago now. And and I mean, he's he's been in the business for fourteen years. I mean, love him or hate him, whether he deserves it or not, whether he you know went through the system and there's guys down there and gals down there that are busting their asses in the system at NXT and in the performance center, like. You know, he, he, he got in the right place at the right time. It just it just happened to work, and, and he had an um, interesting look. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whether they're cashing in on um, someone's, uh, you know, appearance, that they don't look normal, or, you know, whatever normal is, um, um, it, it's, he, he is entertaining. He's super entertaining. The no chin music, the shirts, the everything. You know, he's he's gaining more confidence, and it's it's fun to see. He's, he's almost like he's almost like this generation's Ralphus meets Gilbert. Ah, uh, yeah. Meets, but like, I can see a little bit of Spike Dudley coming out of it. Sure. You know. And it's funny, too, you mentioned the uh, the Talk is Jericho episode, and, you know, he, just like you said, he's been in this business for a long time. He's actually a promoter out of uh, out of uh, Maryland, so, you know, this guy's, like, always busy, too, so it's like the spotlight on this guy has never been brighter. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he, he understands the business. Mm -hmm. He understands exactly what it's doing. It, it might look, you know, it might not look the best, 
uh, at all times, but that's that indie mentality going from doing it one way for 15 years, suddenly being in like the business mm -hmm. in, in the WWE style. And, you know, it's the same thing that we saw AJ Styles is starting to come into it, like figuring out the actual style yeah. and the, uh, the flow of a WWE match versus a TNA match. I mean, he, I mean, I've been a big fan of AJ's work for a long time, and, and he has always worked a certain style, especially doing the TNA thing and then going to Japan exactly. and the WWE. It's just like all the guys used to face that, that did the different territories, like Jericho mm -hmm. and, and Eddie and Dean and Benoit, and, and going through these, like, you know, you work um, Canada, you work America, you work Japan, you work Mexico, you work Germany, and then you come to WWE, you work WCW, they're all different everybody wrestles differently so it's you know in, in due time i think he'll uh, he'll fall into his right thing and he'll keep using him and uh i mean now it's entertaining i love that ellsworth ellsworth chance are great yeah, and you know, he does, he does depict that underdog, you know, that lovable underdog, you know, now he's kind of got an edge to him. And you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, you mentioned, uh, styles. There definitely is, a, uh, is a WWF style of, otherwise they wouldn't have, you know, their performance center in Florida. And you mentioned AJ Styles as well. And we saw, you know, that his style has had to evolve somewhat since entering the WWE. He's of course used to, to grappling in Japan where they've got a different outlook toward the art, but they also work, you know, the strong style you know it's more of a more of a stiffer kind of uh, uh of uh, of way of doing things we've seen that with shinsuke nakamura um of course when when yeah. aj styles knocked out uh, uh the mrs veneers i mean that was you know his combination of of you know uh, that that close phone booth kind of fighting you know that that culminated with that back fist so you know and he's even said aj styles has even said on the on the the stone cold podcast uh, that was on the network that you know when you, you know when you hit him it spurs him to do things more and, and it's like he's into it he's into to continuing that strong style but sometimes you got to kind of pull it back a little bit for fear you know or, or not for fear of but in order to protect your opponent and that's always been i think thing number 1 in professional wrestling. Now, uh, last night, of course, at TLC, we saw the new Wyatt family take the SmackDown tag titles. How cool was that? I thought that was pretty cool. I mean, you got to feel for Heath Slater. You know, he needs the job. He's got kids. He's yep. got the job, so he's feeding his kids. You know that. You know he's making a good paycheck. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm really happy for Heath. You know, Me I'm, too. I'm happy that he finally got. Um, a, a chance, and the the Heath and Rhino thing, you know, it's you know, thrown together and kind of weird. And but uh, I mean, Heath has been there for such a long damn time, and I know, like, <laughs> I, I forget what it was exactly. Heath came out a few years ago, was doing I'm the one man band, I'm the one man band, <laughs> and then uh, and all the legends came out, and and Bradshaw gave him the super stiff clothesline from oh. hell, and yep. he just sold it for eternity. It was like when the Rock takes a stunner and he flips back and it goes on his shoulder and his elbow and like, that reminds me, speaking of AJ Styles, that guy knows how to fall out of the ring and oh, make it look yeah. like he just got hit by a car. Oh my God, does he know how to sell. Holy smoke. It was like, what was it? I think it was on, uh, like, I think it was last week's SmackDown when he got ejected from yeah. the ring. He collided with the apron and then that was it. We're, we cringed at home. It was nuts. <laughs> times in, yeah. in, in the uh, in the title match mm -hmm. at TLC. It was it was so awesome. Oh my god, there was one there was one point where uh, I think I forget what it was
Noah's team came out and did like the the suicide dive through the uh, the top and the second rope, and he, he came out and man, the way AJ made it look like the front of his face hit the announce table, but it like it fully didn't, you know? It was yeah. just, oh, it's crazy. It was so cool. Yeah, speaking of Heath Slater and the uh, and the tag team title match, I, I thought it was great. You know, I've, I've been curious and, and kind of wondering what they're doing with the whole Randy Orton thing. Is he under mind control? Does he just see the greatness of Bray Wyatt and think that Bray needs to be something else? You know, I, Brandy is phenomenal. I'm sorry to keep taking that away from AJ, but Bray is really, truly something special. And his, he, he has a gift of gab. He's a great performer. He's creepy, and I feel like they keep dropping the ball with him. You know, he's like a similar to like a Cesaro thing. Cesaro has the ring capabilities and can do anything under the, you know, under God's green earth, and can and can do it phenomenally and and tremendously. But uh, but there's that word again. But uh, Bray. They keep putting him into these situations and then they keep crushing him. And I don't get it. Yeah. There's not a character right now that has a ton of steam. There's not a heel character that's creepy, that's frightening, that you fear, that you, like, there's no Undertaker or Kane or, you know, or Mankind or somebody that's just, Dean, Dean Ambrose is unstable, but he's, he's, he's functioning, you know? <laughs> there's not a guy coming out in, in, in like, a full-on straitjacket and being held down, and then they let him go. Yeah, know? yeah. And I feel like Bray Wyatt could be that. But I don't understand what they keep doing with him. But it was a great match. Well, you know, and, and with Bray, it's almost it's 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 a lot like you hit it right on the head with Cesaro because it's a lot like I think they're ta- they really are taking his talent for granted and going, look, at least we're paying this guy a decent wage, and these guys are very interesting characters. But with Bray Wyatt right now, he now has a championship belt, which is kind of anomalous. You know, before we were used to him being the guy who was like the fly in the ointment. Um, and now it's like, wow, he actually has a belt, when really he's a character who doesn't need one, I think, because it almost seems to be like he's the championship himself, but now that he's got one, and we saw him and, uh, and Randy lace those belts over Luke Harper, which, you know, at first we're starting to think there's that tension between Harper and Orton, um... Of course, now Harper's a former Intercontinental Champion himself, so this is, you know, viewing this from his point of view is nothing new, but do you think this is going to be something that further drives a wedge? Do you think this is going to create more unity? It seems like they're trying to confuse us in the end. I'm I'm very, very confused already. Me too! <laughs> the whole thing with Randy relinquishing the belts over to Luke, and uh, yeah, Luke's, Luke's such a great wrestler, such a great uh, a great character. Oh, he is. Totally lives it. And, uh, and that, that uh, flesh yarmulke he's got, he totally owns it yeah, and, right. and runs with it. And yeah. Hell, more power to him. But exactly. yeah, he's, speaking of another great wrestler, Luke Harper is, and uh, yes, I'm, just, I'm not sure what they're doing with that. You know, the, uh, the Heath Slater Rhino thing kind of got old and got stale. Um, maybe they'll kind of lay low for a little bit. Maybe that'll uh, reinvigorate the, uh, the uh, Heath Slater Rhino tag team. And, and they'll get a little creepy. I don't know. Personally, I'm hoping to see uh, um, 
there, there's so many different ways that they could go with it. You know, you think back to NXT days and, and the Ascension was such a great tag team and had so much steam. They bring them on the main roster and then they just destroy them. They buried and, them big time. Oh, terrible. Yeah, like, we're, we're the best, you know, road warriors and uh, Legion of Doom. You guys suck. We're, we're the greatest, you know. That's just the full fully wrong way to go with those guys and completely destroyed it. I mean, they, they could be something that could play into this. You know, American Alpha is incredible. Uh, Chad Gable, especially. Mm-hmm. Jason Jordan, and then you can switch him out. Uh, he's a little cocky for me, but um, you know, he, he's, I, I can tell that they were kind of going for that team angle sort of thing with sure. him. And, uh, and uh, it was at Shelton Benjamin and um, uh, what was his name? Uh, do you remember? I can't remember. You know what? And I, I'm seeing it right now, but it's going to hit me at 2 in the morning. Charlie Haas. Oh, there you go. There okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like they, they just, they have something really good with that, with America now. Mm-hmm. They're great. You know, they have the Olympic angle on it with uh, Chad Gable being a former Olympian. And, and they're just, they work such a great tag team style, which... You're starting to kind of see that with Randy and Bray. Mm-hmm. I don't know so much about Luke, um, as he was just kind of thrown into that match. But uh, it's yeah, there's there's many ways that they could go with it. It's going to be really interesting to see how the tag team uh, turmoil unfolds. I'm I'm wondering when they're going to take the belts off of New Day. Yeah, you know, I think that I was actually just thinking of the New Day in regard to the the three-man situation with the Wyatt family, and it makes me wonder if they'll start doing interchangeable things to where Bray starts getting uh, uh, Luke and... uh Luke and uh, uh, Randy together to work a tag team. I mean, you know, if it, if it works with Cesaro and uh, Sheamus, then, you know, hopefully it can work with the Wyatts. But, yeah, good question about the New Day. That's the thing that I was concerned about last week on Raw because, of course, they again faced the club. They faced Gallows and Anderson. And I'm thinking, oh, man, I hope this isn't the day because it seems like the company really wants New Day to lap that demolition record. Um, yeah. And they're so is close. That the longest record? It is absolutely the longest. Because uh, uh-huh. I remember before they were purporting the New Day as being the the champions that that had the longest record. But I'm sure that they had gotten a litany of emails and stuff like that saying no, it was demolition. So they had made certain to correct that. So now the belts, the belts that are now known as, which I find it weird that they call the the tag team titles over on Raw that they call them the Raw tag team titles. Uh, you know, to me, they're the WWE tag team titles, and even even in some sense, the World tag team titles. But yeah, the New Day, it's like uh, you know, their time is coming. Um, I think I, I can I can see they're they're due for that that sort of success. They're due to have a championship run, but I think Gallows and Anderson are up up next somehow. What do you think? Who do, who do you think is going to uh, take the belts? Honestly, I don't know. I mean, Gallows and Anderson, I feel like would be great. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it also goes back to that thing about there's not. I mean, who can we name that's just fully? evil and mean and bad without being cool on the other side just right. because they're you know the, it's 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 the austin um it's the austin thing you know the austin and rock thing sure. it's, it's like they're, they're a badass and they're they're mean and they're angry and yet the fans like that exactly you know, it's the anti-hero the male audience over uh, over 24 right right but yeah. I don't know. I I really really enjoy the new day. 
I am a huge, huge New Day fan. Every time Biggie comes out there in his little singlet, looking like he's a little baby in his onesie, getting up for cereal in the morning, and and Xavier Woods, Javier, his uh, curly boots, the uh, old cheek boots, and mm-hmm. the uh, he does the James Brown hair, and and you know I, I love the up up down down the video game thing that he's that he's got going on, and, and they're just it's so funny. It made Kofi Kingston great again. Uh, yeah, exactly. D- definitely underappreciated to begin with, but Kofi has definitely shined in this role. Um, and it's funny, too, because our, our daughter, our daughter is six, and d- the the club storyline really affected her, the one where they crotched uh, uh, where they crotched Biggie and he was out for a little while. Every time she'd see, she sees them, she gets this grimace on her face, all of six years old, and she's like, they're the ones who hurt Biggie. And it's like, you love Biggie, don't you? She totally adores the New Day. Everything yeah, unicorn. So yeah, it's like they're they're like the 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 openly male advocates for My Little Pony, and she's totally yeah. into it. She's so into it. Um, we saw oh, last night. So awesome. Last night we saw what should have been, or is supposedly, the culmination of the feud between the Miz and um, and uh, Dolph Ziggler for the Intercontinental Title. Where do you think the Miz goes from here? Could it they possibly ever reignite that? It's gone on for so long. It's it's strange, especially when you consider in real life those two are like thick as thieves. They're like best friends. Yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like they were trying to make. And making somebody great again, and they were trying to make Dolph Ziggler great again sure. with the whole retirement angle. And you know, I, I feel like right now, Miz is like a Ric Flair, and uh, mm-hmm. he's, he's at his prime right now. Yeah. Miz is at his prime, and Ziggler, I feel like he could be at his prime. He looks great. He's he's, he's working it perfectly. I loved when he was doing the all the Motley Crue things yeah. and, the, and the, that vibe, the, the Vince Neil look, and and he's he's developed into uh, really a very much Shawn Michaels vibe, maybe too much Shawn Michaels, which is I think maybe why he's losing steam, is we're losing that classic Dolph Ziggler attitude and he's, he's uh, maybe he's being a little bit destroyed to um, I don't know eventually uh, I don't know they beat him down so much and then he kind of rises back from the ashes like the Phoenix but I don't know if you keep destroying him uh, I just don't know but it, I, I feel like that ending was, was perfect low blow on top of the two ladders it was perfect Miz he's, he's awful you know he's, he's he, he, but he knows who his character is which is why they did the whole thing with Ric Flair giving him the figure four mm-hmm. I saw an interview of Flair and he was like he got asked if you had to pick the next four horsemen who would it be? And Miz was the first name out of his mouth before the guy even finished the answer or the the the, uh, the question. It was like Miz, uh, Cesaro, uh, who was um, I can't remember who else. Maybe it was uh, uh, no, it's gone. <laughs> no, it's on the internet. Use the internet, people. You've got uh, yeah, Google that stuff. Um, You're there already. Might as well look it up. Exactly. Now you've got two young children. You're a husband and a father. Are your kids as into uh, uh, WWE as you are? No, uh, I'm kind of waiting until my son's a little bit older to understand it. Gotcha. I mean, there's been definitely uh, many um, opportunities, and I let him watch with me sometimes, but, but not a lot. And also, we just uh, we just dialed down on our cable, and I'm I'm doing more just the network. And uh, you know, you pay 
for the network. Why do you need to pay eighty bucks for cable? Exactly. <laughs> Which it's been interesting. One of my one of my qualms with network is that they stopped putting the uh, the Fallout videos of SmackDown and Raw on there. They oh. do it on their YouTube page, which is important. But uh, I mean, hell, if you're putting it out for free on there, you might as well take up a little bit more bandwidth to put it on your actual network. Oh, exactly. And they're continually adding stuff. You know, whether it's a uh, um you know, stuff from AWA or, uh, you know, older episodes of Raw. It's like, why not? I mean, they're, they're definitely making the money to do so. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's, uh, it, it's, uh, that, that right there, as far as the network is concerned, that's what, uh, what got my daughter into Slam City. She's a huge Slam City fanatic. And all nice. those, yeah, she knew some of the characters before, but now her appreciation is nutsoid. It's like over the top. You know, that's how she's gotten into CM Punk and Mark Henry and The Rock. And every day she's like, I gotta watch Slam City. It's like, all right, go for it. It's like, you know how to work the remote. So that's, that's, and it's a fun <laughs> so show. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take, I'm gonna take her lead on that. And uh, yeah. there's some Slam City. He's got the little, what were the little, um, uh, what were those things called? The, uh, I guess maybe they were called Slammers. Maybe. Uh, the little, the little tiny wrestling toys, oh, yeah. rings, and mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. Anyway, one of my fans came over those back on the uh, Idol tour, gave me a bunch of those, and so we we still play with those. And, uh, it's kind of like a hungry, hungry hippos. Sure, the wrestlers. that's pretty cool. And you like smack them out of the ring, and, and there's like a money in the bank briefcase. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty awesome. Well, so far so good. As the fun with James Durbin continues on the Coyote Duran show. Just wanted to take a break, however, to share another one of my favorites of James's first album, Memories of a Beautiful Disaster. This is Higher Than Heaven.
um, getting back to music and getting back to your hometown of Santa Cruz. Um, I saw not long ago you had this video in a song titled Santa Cruz. Now, how did that feel to put that together? Um, it seemed like, was that something that was more for for tourism or the region itself? Because I thought that was a hell of a tune, and I don't think it's on, it's not on any of your albums. No, um, it, it was like a, it was a reason that I couldn't put it on an album, some publishing disagreement, but really? there was no reason that I couldn't put it on, uh, on YouTube and, and make a video for it. And, um, so I played it locally for, uh, for an event, uh, similar TED Talk. Mm -hmm. um, called the Nexties in Santa Cruz, uh, which is probably the NXT will call their awards, like the Slammies, gotcha. probably called the Nexties. Um, if they ever do, there's, <laughs> there's a good, uh, there's a good idea. Exactly. Uh, but, but yeah, but I played Santa Cruz there, and, uh, and one of the facilitators of that event um, wanted to uh, fund a music video for it, so we picked out all these spots that are in the song and uh, did the music video, did it for free. It was, it was, it was fully funded. And um, just a great way to spend the day making music, hanging with friends, shooting uh, half-court shots at the local uh, devo developmental NBA League uh, arena and um, getting free cookies and all sorts of stuff. So it was, you know, it was a really fun day and a really great way to, um, to, to still be able to give that song to people. Yeah, you know, it's 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 been great. Um, just a couple weeks ago, actually October first, two months ago, mm -hmm. um, time flies. I played the I headlined the 150th anniversary celebration of Santa Cruz as a city. We played it down there at, at the wharf, and um, and there were thirty thousand people at least. Uh, out there on the beach for the fireworks show that was about to begin and uh, we were just finishing up our set of about an hour and 20 minute set and the last song that we played was Santa Cruz and I had 30,000 people in the palm of my hand singing the chorus and everything that I gave them that night they gave right back to me and we synced it up right with the very last line of take me back to Santa Cruz and the fireworks start shooting off oh, and uh, it, it could not have been timed more perfectly it's not nobody else had the plan to do it like that they were wondering when I was going to stop playing and they just decided to, sh to shoot them off and uh you know, it was, it was only me that had that idea in my head, and it, it just worked out perfectly. You know, Santa Cruz is a, it's a, it's a weird place. It really is, and um, and it's it's different, and 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 I like it that way. You know, there's there's some um, there's some things going on right now with the tech industry over in Silicon Valley, mm -hmm. and that uh, all those people are, you know, they're looking for houses close by uh, within commute. So sure. they're all coming here and, and, and raising the, uh, the the prices for everything through the roof. Uh, we looked up um, an article about the most expensive cities to live in for locals. Mm -hmm. And number one is Brooklyn, and a close second is Santa Cruz. Wow. Where the locals can't even, can't even afford to live in their own hometown. Oh, that's you know, true. I, I, Every day going here, going to the, the school that my son goes to, and just going around different places. My wife's yoga class, and, and, and people are like, So, where are you from? And it's just like, I'm from here. I've lived here my whole life. I'm born here. I'm a native. And people are just, they're, they're shocked in a way. <laughs> it's just crazy, you know, for somewhere that's uh, been so influential to me to know that. Um, 
pretty much everyone that I grew up with either lives in Oregon or uh, Tahoe. Oh, okay. Yes, and probably probably less expensive. I mean, when you consider that, geez. And it's a shame, too, because, yeah. you know, it is a beautiful city. Um, like I said, you know, for my first time, uh, I visited there in March of last year. It was mind-blowing. It was just amazing. Just, I didn't want to leave. You know, first of all, you know, when, when, when night falls, it's like you see, you start seeing that, that Lost Boys kind of vibe, you know, coming exactly. off the, the boardwalk, coming off down the stairs onto the beach. And it's like, this is insanely cool. It's like, we can walk around and drink beer? This is amazing. <laughs> But um, yeah, I, I was I was so uh, stoked when uh, uh, when I saw that video and when I listened, I'm like that. This is kind of an extra treat. I'm sure the fans really appreciated it. Uh, now, in regard to Santa Cruz and in regard to the film The Lost Boys, um, not to you know uh, uh, stay too hardcore on your on your young age there, my friend. Um, Lost Boys, I think, came out in '87. You were born like two years later. Um, but you, uh, you've got a sideband. Are you still working with the sideband known as the Lost Boys? I am, yeah. That's my cover band locally. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we're, we're actually just about to gear up for our second annual New Year's Eve extravaganza. Right. And something fun, you know, it, it came about from a private park that I played, um, down at the beach. And they were just a band that got kind of lumped into it. And, um, and, uh, and so I sat in with them and we got on a, Three sets, like three hours of music, and um, and and it just kind of it just kind of stuck. And everybody that's in the band is from Santa Cruz. Everyone's natives to Santa Cruz. Everyone's uh, you know local business owner. It's, it's your um, one of them is uh, works for the um, Stagnero company, which is one of the like the main fish. Um, Factory and, and, and distributor uh, on the wharf, and um, another one's a camera guy for an ABC station locally. And, oh, right on. And uh, one of them's a, one of the DAs, and um, and another one's a, a licensed contractor here. And so it, and then me. <laughs> so it's definitely fun. You know, it's a fun way to just play covers to people that want to rock and and you know play mostly like the smaller venues in town and and. Uh, but it's been a lot of fun. The smaller venues, we we pack. You know, the place holds 150 people capacity. We're we're shoving at least uh, <laughs> maybe 200 in there. You know, maybe not supposed to, but there's a little wiggle room, and uh, and it's just great. You know, it's 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 been really fun. We uh, we just recorded a demo to uh, push around for different um, corporate gigs and stuff. So you know, we're giving it a little bit of time. We're giving it a little bit of heart and love. And if it, you know, if it, if it pans out in a good way, um, to where it, uh, can, uh, provide some extra income and, and, and still be fun, then, you know, we'll keep doing it. But, there you uh, go. It's, um, it was just, it, 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 it happened organically, which is, which has been a theme for this year. A lot of things have happened organically. Um, I put out the Ride on Sunset album. We did that independently. Mm-hmm. We did a crowdfunding campaign with, um, with, uh, what's it called? Um, Pledge Music. Uh, Pledge Music. Mm-hmm. PledgeMusic.com. We did a crowdfunding campaign, raised all the money and the funds and uh, with the fans directly with them and, and made the, the Ride on Sunset album, the album I had been wanting to make. Um, speaking of that, uh, the song Ride on Sunset was a song that I had pitched. I wrote it when I was 20 years old wow. and um, before Idol and all that and pitched it to be on 
memories of a beautiful disaster and be able to celebrate and everything and, and it kept getting uh, shot down so that was kind of like my phoenix rising from the ashes so we did that went on tour it was all great all independent and then uh did the vegas thing and you know and then uh the new projects stem from that and the lost boys stem from nothing and and uh, it's 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 been really cool it's been really nice seeing how um uh, seeing what kinds of things happen when you actually work for them. Absolutely. When you're, when you're with a label, you see that there's a lot of people that are doing a lot of different jobs, and you are paying for it. You know, you, you have to recoup all that, um, meaning that uh, they pay for the album and everything to be made, and then you don't get any money back from the sales of your own music. Mm-hmm. You don't even get to keep the songs. You know, there's there's publishing that they keep. You can still play your own music, of course. There's, of course. there's no problem with that. And... Um, and but uh yeah it's it's you realize uh how much work it really is but there's there's you you get that payoff you know you really get that um that appreciation for all the hard work because you you did it yourself and i did it and my wife did it and uh we're still doing it you know we run all of our own um we run all of our merch we package the orders we ship the orders from gamesurbanofficial.com and uh you know it's, it's, it's been it's been a labor of love and uh, I think that's that's how it should be. I feel like you get the best you get the best product when you do it that way. Yeah, and you know that led into my 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 next question. So it's beautiful that you brought that up. You know, in in regard to crowdfunding, it's you got the more ability to control things. Obviously, you know this definitely took a positive turn as opposed to the Celebrate album. Um, were were there actually you know in, in controlling everything? Were there actually any negatives, or was it all typically a positive experience? And were there any ever any concerns about not possibly getting it funded in time? I mean, it's definitely uh, a little bit of worry throughout the entire process. Um, there, there wasn't any uh, worry that we wouldn't get it funded in time because uh, I found a, a phenomenal producer, engineer, mixer, master, all in one, uh, locally in Santa Cruz. That was my whole, my whole goal. And because I did that, and because I worked with somebody that that really saw my passion for it, um, I didn't get. Uh, <laughs> I'm just gonna say it blatantly. I didn't get charged LA prices. You know, some guys spend five thousand dollars per song to be mixed and mastered and everything, and I spent five thousand dollars to make the whole album perfect for the lockout in the studio the engineering the mixing the mastering everything five thousand flat so that really 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 helped and really really worked out and and we did the my wife did all of the uh, photography for the album and for the merchandise we designed everything ourselves. We designed the, uh, the the album layout. We did all the graphic design ourselves, and, and really figured out the easiest possible and cheapest possible way to do things. Because when you run and own your own business, as you will know, <laughs> you're doing everything yourself. You are trying to save money, you know. Because the more money, the less money that you spend on the project, the more money you have to promote it, to market it to uh, live off of while you're promoting it and marketing it, you know, and um, it's, it's, it's definitely all paid off, and it's, it's been a great lesson. It's been a really, really big lesson, especially coming right off of Idol and, you know, here's this, you know, here, sing this song, and, and we'll pay you this much, and, and go on tour, and we'll pay you that, and do this Disney thing. 
do this, do that, then you're with a label and they're telling you everything that you're going to do. Yeah, you're paying for it, but then, boom, suddenly you're independent, meaning you don't have a label. You don't have management. You don't have all these different things that you had before with all these people telling you, you know, what you were going to do and what you needed to do. And suddenly it's it's up to you to decide what you have to do. There's a difference between what, you know, people are telling you what their best interest is for you compared to what your best interest is for yourself. And those things don't always... Um, those two don't always align. I mean, seldom do they actually align. There was there's a few times that their best interest for me was actually what I would have ever chosen for myself. So when you do things for yourself and you do things because of the necessity that you need it, then I feel like there's no way that you're going to be dissatisfied, even if the level of success is lower. I don't know how many copies my Sunset album sold. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't really care. It's kind of like when Ellsworth was standing on the talking smack. He was saying, you know, I, I'm not focused on what just happened at TLC. I'm not focused on what's happened on SmackDown and all these different things. I'm focused on what's happening next because really that's all that matters. What's done is done. What's happened has already happened. And it's not going to, if, if I reflect on that and if I focus on that, that'll probably set me back further because I won't be focused on what's next, what's after that, what's ahead of me, what is, what am I, you know, what, what, what do I have to expect if I'm only thinking about what already happened and the circumstances around that? Because, you know, the music industry, the record industry is, it's bullpit. It all is, you know, it's, it's all, it's all fluff and fodder and, and, and none of it's real. The only truth and the only regal thing that you have is your music and your artistry and your vision for your work. And I feel like I'm in a really good place right now. And it, it, it doesn't have anything to do with album sales, with, uh, you know, with charts or any of that. It's about the level and the magnitude of the songs that I'm creating and the energy and the emotion that I'm putting forward. And then when it does get released, you know, then that's when that stuff matters. But um, if, if, if you have the opportunity and the chance to really put your best foot forward and give everything you have, you're going to do it because nobody else is telling you. And when you have that in mind, you know you know what to expect, especially if, you're, if you do focus on looking forward, um, nobody's getting let down in the end. And it seems like in this current landscape of music production, you know, we haven't seen effective record companies in quite a few years. This is nothing new, especially with the advent of, uh, you know, buying your music off of iTunes. And you mentioned, you made a good point earlier, that if an album sells, you know, a... a a few thousand copies or whatever, under under a hundred thousand, you maybe ten, twenty, or thirty. It's deemed comparatively a hit, but you know what? In the end, it's also not putting food on anybody's tables. When you're looking at an industry where you can pick and choose tracks, you can go on iTunes and, and, and sample tracks. And if I only want to buy two of them, <clears throat> that's two dollars spread throughout 
the whole crew of people, the whole, uh, the, the whole, you know, uh, a family of people who are contributing toward this album. And me, I've, I've I've always been an album guy. I've always been a CD guy or a cassette guy. Where it's like, look, man, I'm gonna buy the whole damn album. And if I don't like some of the tracks, so I don't like some of the tracks. That's kind of part of what helps you appreciate the ones you really do like. So in in a sense, it's like I, I think you know things where you you're, you're buying the separate tunes, whether it's on you know Google Music or or uh, uh, you know uh, iTunes or whatever. It definitely does take away from that hard work. So yeah, you know, and I can see that there would be a time where you're working with other people who are trying to help you put out an album, you know, like the like the the, the first album, Memories or uh, or Celebrate, where after a time you can just imagine the phone calls stopping. And it seems like a horrible premise, you know, where it's like, okay, now we really got to focus on getting out something new, because it really doesn't seem like, even even for when the music business was in its most healthy state, it doesn't seem like there was a whole lot of care. You know, you've got executives who are lining their pockets and making certain that their bills get paid first and foremost. Um, so that's, you know, I think, you know, with the crowdfunding thing, that's a way of fighting back. That's a way of taking control and, you know, all of a sudden it's like, now I'm my own record company. You know, I see that same thing, you know, with uh, other organizations like uh, uh, like Kickstarter or Indiegogo or GoFundMe. I have a few projects my projects myself as a visual artist that I want to get out um, and as a writer and an editor that I want to get out. And so I see that as the viable form right there. You can't depend on other companies to kind of carry or be the vehicle to your success. So I think that's a fantastic thing that guys like you are doing this sort of thing. Fastball, the, the group Fastball, they're putting out their next album via Pledge Music as well. Now, uh, in regard to Ride on Sunset, um, you got a little bit of help on one of the most entertaining songs on the album, Scratchers and Cheap Beer. What was it like working with Casey Abrams on this? That oh, was awesome. Casey is Casey's like family. Casey's like a brother of mine. I mean, we 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 have shared some uh, really crazy experiences together um, through Idol, through the Idol tour, and and even thereafter. And, and every time that he's in town and comes to play Santa Cruz, that's usually Moe's Alley in Santa Cruz. Um, he, he comes and stays with us. So sometimes he stays for two days, sometimes three days. <laughs> One of those times, I think he stayed for four. And uh, and just stays and kicks it with his band, and it's also entertaining. You know, everybody's having some drinky wookies, and as, as uh, Chris Jericho puts it, yeah, boy, and uh, and 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 uh, smoke them if you got them, and um, you know, and, and just hanging out, and making music. And uh, I knew one of the times he was going to come I was like, I'm in the studio right now. You know, I'm I'm, I'm in this. So, um, how cool would it be to get Casey on a song? I said to my wife, and she was like, yeah, seriously, like, you guys have to. You're going to write a new song? No, we don't have time for that. <laughs> what if it sucks? <laughs> so I looked at my, my song there, and then I don't know why I didn't think of it immediately, but I was like, hey, scratchers and cheap beer, perfect. So we got him into the studio, and, uh, I, you know, it, it looks so, so good. You know, it, it, it's just, um, it it it, uh, it sounded so good. Yeah. You know, it it, it, it made the best. It was the best fit that made the most sense, really. And um, of course, Casey is more of a. Um, I mean, he he rocks out at his shows, but mm -hmm. on his albums, he's he's a little bit more subdued. So, uh, but I know he can rock, and I know he can shred, and he gets in there and he just starts wailing, and it was so rad. You know, it was so cool and to just have that, um, just to have that there. And my son and I, my son Hunter, he's uh, seven and a half, we're, we're planning on uh, 
on a guitar and like awesome. a little Marshall amp um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and all that. So it's um, it's going to be cool whenever we decide to do it. I think we might wait till Casey comes up to visit the next time. The other idea for a music video is to do a, uh, a um, Clerks-style black and white Jay and Silent Bob kind of like peddling uh, <laughs> scratches and cheap beer outside of a... Uh, rather than selling weed, we'd be selling scratches and cheap beer outside of a uh, video store. Outstanding. Your own little quick stop. That's cool, man. Um, yeah. Now, uh, one of the... Of course, the, the single, the, the lead single that came off the album... Smackdown, a very obviously, unless you're buried under a rock and you have no oxygen, this is very pro wrestling inspired. The video has, a, you know, of course, you in, in, a, in a small uh, ring. Uh, right up on this, you know, you had independent guys come in. It was a, <clears throat> a fellow who didn't live too far away from you who had the ring. Um, now, as far as the song was concerned, were you in ever, were you, were you, did you fear any repercussions from WWE being that obviously Smackdown is a WWE term? You know, I didn't. Um, I, I didn't at all. And, and also, um, if I did, I didn't write the song, so <laughs> can't blame me. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 but, you know, it, it was definitely fun. It, it definitely, it, it could have been called anything. Sure. You know, when the guys that wrote the song, um, I didn't write the song. It was uh, one of the one of two songs on the album that I didn't write, but it was presented to me uh, by, by a few guys. And, um, and, um, and they had written a song uh, on my memories of a beautiful disaster album. The song's called Deeper. Mm. And uh, and so they, I, I went over there and, and they played me a few songs. And I'm like, hey, we wrote this one for you. Uh, it's kind of untitled right now. We've just been calling it WWE Durban. Yep. And I was like, all right, well, it's, it's probably going to come in and just uh, be on my album then. And then uh, it was a first song that we had recorded in the studio. And then um, it just kind of came together. You know, I got, I got a guy to film it, the same um, director that did the Santa Cruz video, mm -hmm. uh, I got him uh, for free, and he, you know, we just wanted to work together again, and um, I rented a U-Haul truck, because I had to move the wrestling ring, and I went and helped them load the ring into the truck, uh, paid a couple wrestlers to come in, and uh, they were on an independent production uh, here in Santa Cruz, called Fist and um, also it, was, it used to be called Comedy Suplex. They also did comedy shows. They brought yeah. RVD in a couple times. And, um, and one of the guys actually has got big frizzy hair. Yeah, he, uh, <laughs> he's known as the Santa Cruz Kid, <laughs> also known as Seabass. <laughs> and, uh, and his name's Mikey. And he came in and uh, was, was one of our wrestlers. And uh, um, a few months ago, was on Monday Night Raw facing Braun Strowman. Really? It was, it was a tag team called the uh, Splash Brothers. That's they were right. With the Oakland Oracle, and they were playing off of the um, the Golden State Warriors thing, and they were the Splash Brothers, Steve McClay. And uh, it was so cool to see him on Raw after doing this thing over here in the old basketball arena in Santa Cruz. And, and, and it's, it's just it's so rad. You know, the, the other crazy thing is that he... I, I knew that there was this wrestling promotion in Santa Cruz, this promotion, and um, so I called that guy. And at the time, I was living over in an area of Santa Cruz called Rio Del Mar, mm -hmm. and, um, and uh, in Aptos, down by the beach, and he gets back to me. He's like, hey, I live in Rio Del Mar. And I'm like, oh, so do I. Where at? And turns out he lived literally two blocks behind me <laughs> and had the ring in his garage. 
That's outstanding. Yeah, that is incredible. Like, what the what hell? Great. How does that even happen? <laughs> you know, it's crazy. Oh, you can't, yeah. That, uh, yeah, I, what I, a I couldn't believe it. Yeah. We, we get the ring over there. We actually ended up only having like four hours to shoot the music video. We were supposed to have like ten. Ooh. So there was a lot that we didn't get to do. I was going to uh, get into it with uh, one of them and, and uh, you know, throw a suplex and, and a splash from the top rope, but we didn't end up letting that happen. Um, i got to say that that ring, it is technically a practice ring. It was about 16 by 16 feet. Uh, it is unforgiving. I've been in a WWE ring before. I've mm-hmm. been in an indie ring that was like, like an 18 by 18 and higher. And mm-hmm. this practice ring is only about a foot and a half off the ground, and it is unforgiving. It is steel and wood, and it, it, it didn't even have like, the little thin yoga mats that, that they normally do. It's just wow. steel, wood, and canvas. And uh, I took a few bumps on it just for the video, mm-hmm. and each time, I, I mean, I swear, when you take a bump, and they always say when you come back from injury and you take that first bump again, it's like getting hit by a truck. Oh, I'm sure. I can imagine. And, you know, I saw it when it, I, the it first worked. time I saw that ring in the video, the first thing I thought of was like the old, the rings from the old uh, uh, OVW from o- o- Ohio Valley Wrestling, the, that one little developmental company from WWE. Yeah. I'm like, that yeah. thing is small. So, yeah, 16 by 16, that's teeny. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, tiny. I've seen some uh, some videos from some, I forget where, the, the rings look like they're 10 by 10, 12 oh, by 12, and that's, that's really, really small. You know, that's like, that's like you, you hit the ropes, and normally you take like five or six steps before you hit the other side, and that's like two or three. You know, so it was, it was, it was crazy, though. Like, it's so much fun getting to hit the ropes and run the ropes, and, and they weren't... Uh, they weren't actual rope covered in tape like WWE uses. Yeah. They're more the elevator cable kind of style like WCW had. And so those, they're just gnarly. It just sucks. It's like a garden hose pole type. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was, uh, but it was so much fun. And, and there's a little nod to, uh, when we made the video it was right when Shinsuke Nakamura signed with WWE. And so I did the, uh, at the end of the video, and the last, I will make you feel yes. in the pain right there. I, I do the, uh, the back bend on the road. That's like, right. Uh, like I saw that. I completely marked out. I'm like, he's doing Nakamura. He's <laughs> <laughs> nuts. So, yeah, that's uh, that's incredible. I, I enjoyed it, highly enjoyed it. And that's one thing that I'm going to make certain uh, at the end of uh, at the end of the podcast, we're going to lead into SmackDown. Um, also, you know, we've, uh, you know, got our tunes that we've already, uh, that I've already posted and shared, uh, of, uh, James from his first album, Memories of a Beautiful Disaster. James, I'm going to ask you to stick around, uh, after I conclude this, but, um, I think we're going to go ahead and bring it to a close. Um, you can pick up or download, order, um, James' latest album, Ride on Sunset, visit iTunes, Buy all the tunes. Don't just pick and choose one. Uh, you know, make this young man's hard work. Him, his wife, his family. You know, do it for the, do what I did. Buy the whole doggone album, man, and enjoy the whole doggone album because this isn't. You know, it's just it's it's not just uh, this is the journey thus far. With James Durbin and his hard work, it's the journey continues, and this is just the first step. Uh, so uh, I'd like to thank James Durbin. Thank you so much for showing up on the show. And for talking so much, this has been an absolute treat. Doing my little podcast, a huge favor. 
Um, and for all your fans, all you fans out there, some of the ones who've contacted me on Twitter and visited my fan page um, on uh, uh, on Facebook, um, anticipating this interview, it's been a gas, and I'd like to thank you first and foremost, James. Definitely stick around. Um, and so uh, with that, we're going to go ahead and lead into uh, James' single from Ride on Sunset called Smackdown. Thank you for listening, folks. Have an awesome day. Don't forget to eat breakfast, most important meal of the day, and be careful out there, especially if you're in Illinois where we have all this snow. Catch you later, folks.